Note to our listeners, due to social distancing restrictions, today's episode may sound different. Our guests were not recorded in our studio, but from a digitally acceptable platform. The MedVests appreciate your understanding. Good morning, everyone in America. This is the MedVets. I just want to thank you for listening and tuning in. This morning, we have Pamela Nelson from Percane. The Percane Company is a full-service clinical research organization who provides services and supports for clinical studies. Pam Nelson, thanks for joining us today. How's everything going? Oh, it's good. Everything's uh, <laughs> as well as can be on house arrest, but otherwise, it's all good. Well, thank you for taking time to join us. And this, uh-huh. is something, this is something new we're trying to move forward with. Marcus and I, both being military veterans and in healthcare, we're creating a, a podcast. Um, but we want, to, we want to provide a different perspective on healthcare. You know, most people talk about business, sports, finances, but we feel like healthcare is kind of a, a taboo subject. Again, with me being a Gen X, Marcus being a millennial, we had different perspectives on different things, but we do believe that having genuine conversations and inviting people like yourself on to have, you know, just discussions can really help us connect the disconnected because most patients may not have all the answers. They don't know where to go to if they need some kind of healthcare related question, but you know, sometimes things are in their face and sometimes there are things and groups working behind the scenes that make it flow. And so we're trying to, create something different with, with this social media platform. And again, thank you for joining us and, you know, making it work. I know you and I met like over, I think a year ago when we first got introduced. Yeah. yeah. When we first got our, we got our certificates for a minority-owned small business. And then we went into <laughs> the um, Interise program. And from that, I learned what you do, especially with dealing with the FDA. And so I say all that to kind of, you know, help build your platform and just kind of tell us kind of an intro as far as yourself and um, Burkane, please. Okay. Again, thank you guys for having me. I think this is awesome what you guys are doing, really. Hey, hey no problem. Thanks, Pam. I, I appreciate <laughs> you joining us. Keith, that was very, okay. very long-winded. Very long-winded. <laughs> Hey, we got an hour. We got an hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but King Company, you know, we're 18 years old this year. Kind of proud of that. But uh, we are a, a contract research organization that started basically kind of like you guys. You know, you had a passion for what you do and the background. And for me, it was nursing. And I've been nursing for a long time and then moved into a research space and just kind of loved that whole process of how things are made, how drugs go to market, and kind of continued it. And so now, as owning the company, we still do that as our, as our core in that we help companies, uh, large or small, take new products to market or improve old ones. And then we also look at the quality aspects and from that. And then all, uh, by doing that, we help them with their operations, making sure things are uh, followed well because, so that when they get ready to go to the FDA, they have all the documentation in place. And a lot of times companies miss that, that whole quality piece of where that, you know, where we fall into that and meeting that regulatory landscape. So that's kind of what we do. You know, that's it. We love it. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. I appreciate that, Pam. So, and, and again, so basically, with the FDA, that really has a strong concern to do with patient safety, of course, and quality mm-hmm. assurance. 
And I know that one of the things that when, when it comes to the term quality, it's like, it's, it's, I always ask how can it be measured, right? Cause there could be, there's always one way to do one thing, right? So you have to follow the FDA rule, rules and regulations. You have to follow state rules and regulations, hospitals rules and regulations. How do you see the word quality fit? Like what is your, your uh, definition of quality standards that should be followed? Like what is quality to Pam and Percane? So, so to me, quality, I, I don't think quality is about expenses or the cost. Yes, quality, you know, mm-hmm. you know, their cost may be a driver, but it's not always about cost. Um, and, and quality, where in the absence of no guidelines and no rules about how best to help, especially in the patient world, how to best protect the patient, then you have a free-for-all. And so you have to set some guidelines to what is what has been determined to be the best option to keep people safe mm-hmm. and make for people to make the, uh, their products and not cut corners and to not use defective materials or bad you know stuff that they know doesn't work uh, those kinds of things want to make sure that if there are some rules or things that have been put in place to help ensure that people remain safe when they use products then that sets your standard. And that is the quality measure that you have to follow. So in that sense, yes, they can call them the regulators, they can call it the law, whatever they want to mm-hmm. do. But it is it is the mandate and that's the minimum that you have to meet. And so I, to me, when sometimes when we're saying quality, it's like you just got to get to the minimum and you can add, you know, it's like you, you can buy your, I'm going to say you can buy your Yugo, they don't make them anymore, but you can buy your Chevrolet and you still got a car that'll go from A to B. But if you buy something else, whether you want to buy a Tesla, whether you want to buy a Maserati, the rest of it is all just extra. It's not going to make a difference. It's what you want. But basically, it's just got to go from A to B. And so that's kind of how I see quality. You are going to get what you pay for, but you do as long as it meets the minimum standard. If it's not going to meet the minimum standard, then it's not a quality product at all. It probably should not be on the market. Wow, very well said. Anything well settled said. around it, if there's any laws around it, as what's being made. I don't think there's any, ever any reason for people to shortcut the minimum of, of requirement. That's a that's that's a good point. Yeah, I have uh, two things I kind of want to follow up on that. Is so if anything is labeled as FDA approved, FDA cleared, should that mean that that product is the gold standard one and two if that's the case meaning that if fda approved it met that gold standard then how come there are some instances where a product which was evaluated by the fda been on the market is sometimes recalled and so so it's kind of a two-point part to that you know inquiry First, just because a product has a stamp or a letter saying that it was FDA approved or cleared, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's the gold standard. It does mean that it met the minimum requirements. And so the FDA is typically going to uh, give you that uh, uh, letter of approval or clearance based on the minimum requirements that are there. And now if you want to, you know, like I said, if it's just got to go from A to B and that's all the minimum requirements are, that's all you got. It doesn't matter whether you pay $100 for it or have 100000 the FDA let is the same. You know how they always say it doesn't matter if you made an A in, in law school or passed the bar, mm-hmm. you still a lawyer. Same kind of thing 
something that just doesn't make a difference. But if they do add levels where they start to put those types of things and give you a gold standard or this is rated A, and they do that for some products, especially software and different things, then that then that is a different kind of thing. That's a different kind of certification. And you're also designated to that. And so your standards are up to meet that. But if there wouldn't, and like I said, if you're in the absence of having those different levels of criteria that you have to meet, then all of it is the same. They just have to meet the minimum. What happens is that the FDA also requires that any product that's been on the market or goes to market has to go through continuous safety testing to ensure that it continues to be safe and that your quality is continuing to meet the standards that you got approved for. So what ends up happening, you've probably seen a lot of these recalls lately, products, you know, the FDA continues to check because that is their job is to keep patients, I shouldn't say just patients, but the general public safe from products, right? So as, as you know, you can say people have been making stuff for a hundred years and all of a sudden it gets taken off the market. It's because there's either a, de a defective ingredient that has been added and they found that, or they found that they could have changed their process and now the process doesn't make it safe anymore. And the other option would be there's new information that in the long term that it causes some severe harm. Like you've probably seen a lot of the stuff with ritididine or Zantac that's been taking stuff off the market. Last summer was the blood pressure medicines were all being taken off the market. Been in, been in production for years wasn't necessarily the process change, it was the ingredients change. There's some software that's been taken off the market recently and they were voluntary recalls. It's because they're finding defects, uh, defects in their processes and that are that they are causing harm later. And then they go and take those off the market. Uh, the companies can go back and do retesting and, and do clinical trials again, uh, or at least test their processes, fix, fix the error and then go back to market. But if the FDA finds out that there's a defect, they can ask them to remove it and then they have to, you know, go through this whole recall process mm -hmm. and notify or they can voluntary recall and take those products out of, out of service. What have you seen since the whole COVID-19 concerns? Um, how has business been affecting Burkane and other business in the healthcare industry with identifying some of these quality systems? Well, for us, it's really imp impacting us because, you know, we were, we are the type of business that goes on site <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> to our facilities to work. And even though we may have been ready to do things in a remote setting, a lot of companies, hospitals, you know, large clinics, they did not want to move into that direction just because of the, the old Goliath yeah, giant. Yeah. You know, take it but now being forced to come up with ways in which people can still access records and do what they need to do to audit and that kind of thing which uh, again it, it's a process and everybody has to get ready for that because everybody just as you know some of their staff are being termed as you know non-essential then they can't go to work so they can't complete mm -hmm. the work even if they had it there uh, because we're not they just were not i'm going to say early adopters to technology so they got a lot of stuff on paper and you can't take the medical records out. You know, they're, they're kind of stuck. So it is impacting clinical trials all across the world from China back to here. People are having such a hard time moving data, which the good thing is there's a lot of companies that are on the, on the horizon that are doing remote visits. They were already, that process was already in place, but it was only for extreme circumstances 
and they were doing remote review of data that had been entered in a limited fashion. So now we're trying to go back and retrofit a lot of these, you know, plans and processes. Uh, and even when I asked you about this call, one, that is one of the things we've got to talk about is, you know, studies were getting ready to close and you, now they can't go to market. They're going to be delayed because mm -hmm. we can't collect the data. So we can't close the database. So everybody's being impacted. You can't, and, and the other, you can't just stop. So we've got people in midst of treatment. They can't get the treatment or they're afraid to go into the clinics. So there's, this is really impacting people, like I said, and everybody knows it is, but it is really impacting, especially our world on the research side, very dramatically, just because we, we have been slow to adopt to a lot of the technology that's been out there for a long time. Hmm. Do you know, Pam, do you know if the FDA has concerns with like hospital infection rates? Are they concerned about those numbers? The FDA has been, but I think it's more HHS as a whole, whether you got CDC, NIH, I think all of them have uh, different or varying degrees of concern regarding different areas where the infection rate comes in, whether it's hospital-acquired pneumonia, which is you know kind of looked at differently than uh, MRSA, two different types of infections, but both can still be spread easily in the hospital. I think there's still some concern as well, but more so, I think the transmission from the carrier to the healthcare worker because they are exposed for so long. One of the issues with COVID-19 is that this bug lives on everything for a long time, much longer than most. And so with the type of weather we've been having, it's just been an environment for it to live a lot longer. So I think that has been the impact while you keep hearing people of just stay home or, or wash your hands and, you know, wash everything down multiple times because the, the virus can live for such a long time on different types of surfaces. Yeah. One of the things Marcus mentioned was the FDA, are they concerned about infections? And when most people think about anything healthcare related, we always think about the FDA. And then again, that's kind of that quality. But mm -hmm. to, my, to, to my layman's understanding is the FDA mainly is just the minimum requirements for anything medical device related, drug related, or any kind of testing needed for any kind of consumer products. So the FDA, to my understanding, really doesn't, is not really involved in hospital settings, but you have mentioned the HHS as far as more in line with the hospital. What is HHS? HHS is at the top, okay? So health is the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. They're at the top of the food chain, if I could say it in that manner. They are the ones that get the government mandates and the Congress congressional mandates and all that, right? So then all these other agencies that I mentioned, CDC, FDA, NIH, uh, the Centers for Disease Control, I guess I should say that in my alphabet soup, the National Institutes of Health, F, uh, the Food and Drug Administration, which is the FDA, all of them sit under the uh, Health and Human Services. So they're departments within Health and Human Services as a whole. And so the, the standards, though, that the FDA are mandated to, to address is the development of food and drug and cosmetics and, and food additives. So they, they cover all those areas. You've got food safety, uh, drug and medical device safety, and also cosmetics. So that is like the ingredients, the processes, how they're made and keeping them safe. 
Then CDC, of course, is our Centers for Disease Control, which primarily is infectious disease. They issue guidelines related to how to manage stuff like this pandemic, uh, other infectious diseases. That's kind of where they sit. And so then the National Institute of Health, theirs is more of just different types of diseases that are not acute or, as you would say, as we say, emerging would be where the uh, National Institutes of Health, which has a whole string of different departments under there. You've got the allergy and, you know, oncology, all kinds of groups that fall under that group of NIH. But to that point, they, they set, each one of them set some standards, but like hospitals, are oftentimes governed by other agencies as well. So you have JCO, uh, they're, they're the, I would say the gold standard of you should be JCO certified. That's the minimum in the land. And if a hospital's not, have not met the Joint Commission uh, accreditation, then it's like, hmm, what's happening? Because they set, they can set that for, for hospitals. And then for uh, physicians, you have the guidelines of the AMA, and if, in, and in different settings, there's different rules. But like, if it, so, if a physician is under, uh, we'll, we'll say the American Medical Association, but they also have to follow their state guidelines, the federal guidelines, if there's any on their specialty. And then you also have to meet the, you know, if you're using, depending on what you're doing, you can't override or do what the FDA. If if the FDA has a regulation, you know, about what you're doing, you can't just dismiss that especially we'll say in the sense of them doing research, but each area may have different governing bodies that can dictate what they can and cannot do. And some of them have multiple, like I think we had mentioned that before that you got state, you got some things that are related to, you know, federal at the federal level and then these different agencies as well. Mm. So it's not a, it's not easy. It it's just depends on what it is you're looking for of who has the ultimate rule but for most of them, the federal is going to trump any of them. And, and, but a lot of times, federal regulations are, are difficult to review because then they'll say based off your state guidelines. <laughs> so, so it bumps you back down to other regulatory bodies or whatever. So it is, you know, but you do have to know what everybody, you know, what each organization that dictates your group has for you to do. Definitely. So I appreciate you breaking that down because again, my, my thing is as consumers, as patients, and a lot of times we don't know what goes on within, you know, the hospitals, within a doc's office. And so many things, we just kind of go with the flow. But I think as patients become educated, they can do a lot more to kind of make sure they're compliant with their health and not, not always physically but also they need to be compliant with their mental health as well to make sure that they're doing the right things to be, you know, strong you know, and, and healthy minded. There are many things that the normal consumer, the normal patient just isn't aware of. And sometimes we take those things for granted. Me being in healthcare, me being former military, there are things that I know I can look for to make sure that I'm getting the best service. These are conversations I'm, I'm glad we're having and hopefully can really educate people more. So I'm really glad that you're able to break that down for us and really 
you know, provided in a layman's term. So, mm -hmm. okay. Sounds helpful. I just want to go over a few of these uh, facts that, that I found in regards to patient safety and quality assurance, just for the listeners out there. So the first one is that it's estimated that one in three million risk their chances of dialing while traveling on an airplane in comparison to a patient death being preventable to a medical accident is one in 300. So there are other industries that are perceived as having a higher risk, such as aviation and nuclear industries, where they have much better safety records and health than healthcare does. What do you guys think about that? Because you, you know, you got a lot of human to human contact. And so the more, when you're talking about patient safety, and so the more human to human contact that you have, the more chance you have for risk. Mm -hmm. And you don't have the, the control sometimes of what, I'm just going to say, for instance, like one injury is a patient may fall at the hand of a nurse. Can they, could, they, could they have prevented that? Maybe or maybe not. And then mm -hmm. we'll look at all the measures. Did they follow what was there? Did they transfer the patient right? Did they have two people? Did they have on a belt? You know, all those things which are quality related. And did people follow everything they were supposed to follow? True. At the same time, because a lot of times, especially in healthcare, there's no way, there's no back check or immediate check to go back and fix something that people are not doing. So there's no, you know, I going up, you know, you did not put the belt on in the right spot. They're beginning to do that, but for the most part, it was not there. Whereas if you're talking about somebody in an airplane, oftentimes you got systems and balances because they are looking at you know, you got more than one person managing and driving the plane. Mm -hmm. you, they're in the plane and outside the plane. You got a whole lot of people watching what's going on, where a lot of times in healthcare, you don't. Even if, and, you know, I'm thinking about what you guys do, even in surgery, it may be 20 people in the room, but there's only one person really in control or two. But And it's what they say goes. So if something could go wrong, there's really... You still don't have the same checks and balances, I think, as you do when you are looking at something mechanical and or in a in a different type of process. Mm -hmm. You can go back and check. And then, unfortunately, you can go back and course correct. If you're making chairs and the chair is defective, oftentimes you can go back and course correct the chair, throw it out and start over. If you mess up with a human, most of the time, you can't go back and fix it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you cut off the wrong leg, you just cut off the wrong leg, you can't go back and catch it and, you know, start over. It's just done. And that comes a lot. So it's just unfortunate, but I think we're getting to, you're beginning to see a lot more of those double checks and quality checks that are coming into play. And as I think surgeons use more robotics and other things to, to utilize that or that they will rely on artificial intelligence and the use of technology to help support that human mind. I think that has a lot to do with the errors that we see sometimes is that medicine has always relied more on the human mind. The doctor was smart. The nurse was smart. Or whatever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I, I, I can take it for myself. And I told you I've been a nurse for many years. 
And I used to get hold a whole lot of information. I, you know, and I, I would always assume, I know that I did the right thing. I had the right thing. And the one thing, the one mistake that I have always remembered, and I tell people when I'm teaching nurses, I, you know, I used to give chemotherapy. There were two blue chemotherapies. It, it was one for a long time. It was one that was red, one was blue. You knew what they were. Then they decided to make two blue ones. And one was a darker blue, but didn't matter. It was still blue. I picked up, I, in my head, I thought I had picked up the right chemotherapy. I didn't necessarily do all the checks that I was supposed to. And I gave a patient the wrong dose. And it's like, you're sitting there watching it go in. I look at the label and I realize I got the wrong stuff. And you cannot pull it out. It's not like you can stop it. It's going, gonna, it's gonna go through. My only salvation was the guy lived, but I, I never forget that mistake in that I could have taken him out because I was relying on Pam and not relying on the system that we had in place, which was you double check when you take it out of the counter, the nurses double check, you know, there were all these things in place and we broke the system. We were busy. We didn't follow it. We were just trying to get everybody in and out and it almost cost the patient their life. Mm. And I think it's more often than I think than so too. I agree. A lot of the mistakes that we do is that we get busy and we start to, to rely on ourselves. And there's, even if there's checks and balances, there's no way to go back and say, because most of the time we're just checking the box. And, but like in a plane, you can keep checking the box, but eventually somebody's going to know you did it wrong. Mm -hmm. Or there's some light that's not going to turn off until you turn it, you know, until you do it right. And we don't always have that in healthcare in, in patient to patient contact. I think. No, I, I agree with you. And, and it's funny that um, I remember, uh, well, not funny, but um, we, that, that comment you made about the surgery, you know, you can't make mistakes. So you cut off the wrong leg. I was, when I was doing a Ted talk, I was actually going to make a joke about that, but it ended up uh, not being too comical. So I went the other way. <laughs> so the next fact that I want to talk about is is that more than one million patients die annually from complications due to surgery. Keith, what do you think about that? Since you're you're so deep in the surgery field, and and to to go along with that fact, uh, let's talk about hospital infections too. One, uh, ten out of every hundred patients will be affected due to hospital infections. Will be sick due to hospital infections. So. What do you think about those numbers, Keith? I, I can see that because, you know, some patients may not be healthy enough for surgery. You know, they may not have met all the requirements for cardiac clearance. But, you know, you have to look at what, you know, surgery they're being performed. And I don't know those numbers kind of going off the top of my head and my experience of a couple uh, years of, you know, being a surgical tech and really being in the field of mm -hmm. elective surgery. But if you look at emergency surgeries, you know, somebody that was just in a motor vehicle accident, I can see how doctors will try to go in, trauma surgeons, and try to save that person. So that would be surgery related. So I can see yeah. how that could be on the list. Um, and I can see women who are giving birth. There are a number of women who give birth who, who die, and maybe not all the time, you know, during surgery, but if they're having a C-section or another procedure, it may not go as planned. So I can see that up there. And this is outside of the regular heart bypass, whether it's a quadruple, triple, 
you know, heart bypass, you know, those patients are going to have complications on their own. Like those plastic surgeries too, it could go wrong. I don't know. I'm not sure how many people are dying from them, but you know. Well, you have to keep in mind, those numbers may be skewed because yeah. most of the procedures are done in that doctor's office. Right. And or so those numbers, yeah, so those numbers may not be tied into the hospital because sometimes if you're getting procedures done at the hospital, it's because you need the services afterwards, whether it's in the ICU or you need to go on a floor mm-hmm. for additional monitoring. But for plastic surgery, you really don't need ICU-related services. So the only other procedure I can probably see from surgery-related deaths is something being performed on a, an infant or a, a young young adult. But you know, as far as elective surgery, I don't really see that many deaths because the patient does meet the proper oh, protocol, meaning mm-hmm. that they have clearance, they have some kind of cardiac clearance. Yeah. But there may be some issues with, you know, some maybe anesthesia. They may have some kind of blood shortage, you know, or something else like that. But and then another one that you mentioned earlier, that ten percent of those patients are gonna have some kind of infection. Mm-hmm. And the they hospital. may not yeah, they they may not you know, die on the table, but they can really get an infection, get some kind of abscess, and they may either, you know, die in a floor or ICU. But these are things that most people aren't really talking about. Why Why did you say plastic surgery? What kind of plastic surgery procedures are you saying? I don't know. What comes to my mind is that, you know, when people go to other countries, all types of plastic procedures, right? Getting their... Uh... Well, sometimes some of them are, and I mean, like implants, women go in a lot of times, even though it doesn't seem like it it is cosmetic surgery, they'll go in and get tummy tucks. And now they've got a lot of other stuff where they're, you know, shooting in ice cold, Mm -hmm. a lot of different things. But some are still doing the old fashioned, cutting the abdomen, pulling up the skin, especially people who've had the massive weight loss, you know, they go through the massive weight loss um, and they have to take those big flaps of skin that falls under cosmetic surgery and so and oftentimes they do get infected and have problems i i would think too people who the the surgical infections are big whether it's secondary or they have an infection that they didn't know about when they took them to surgery Uh, and oftentimes that comes up as well they had something latent and all of a sudden it's all over the place and so i I, I think that, you know, there is that place for them. And then, you know, you have also stuff like tattoos. They're cosmetic, but if they go wrong. Mm, that's a good point. Then a lot of times they're going to end up in the hospital trying to get that resolved. And that, you know, I I, I have seen people die from, from you know, infections from tattoos. Uh, and I've had people have, have some major reconstruction of body parts because, you know, one yeah. horrible I saw she had to get the tip of her tongue cut off uh, because she had a she had her tongue piercing mm. and they had to go in and you know cut the tip of her tongue off to stop the infection. So those kinds of things can be you know added in. You don't think about it, but they are considered cosmetic as well. So yeah, I, I got a tattoo when I was in Italy. When I was in the military, and it bubbled up to the point I thought it was infected. So, uh, but luckily it went down but yeah you're right tattoos that's a great point as far as the cosmetic surgery i wouldn't even have thought about it like well, that but yeah well well they know they tell you that before you get a tattoo you shouldn't mm-hmm. be drinking or mm-hmm. do anything like that so you're probably heavily intoxicated 
So, <laughs> so no, I was not. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so right. I, yeah. You should not. You should not share that. So, so it was basically yeah, okay. your own anesthesia before you got here, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You should just pour some of it on your skin, right? Exactly. Man. You know, what are we having? We're, you know, we have we're, we have some kind of, you know, no, I try, what are we drinking? I try, I try to get, like, one of those tattoos that glue into the glue in the dark under a black light, but I guess my body rejected the ink. So, all right, smart oh, wow. guy. That's what happened. <laughs> That's a good one. Really? Yeah. I'm sitting down. What made you think it was gonna glow in the dark? Exactly. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I don't have know seen why. You. What I don't know, <laughs> I don't know yeah, why I was fooled. I was fooled, but man, like I said, Marky, hey, I will I will say this: Do not share that story again because <laughs> this, is, this is one of those things when getting a tattoo goes wrong, and this is one of those things. Who said a tattoo glowed in the dark? I've never heard that. But hey, if that's the case, hey, I have some land that I'll sell to you. You know, <laughs> you know I'll sell you some land. In the middle of the Pacific, it's an island. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, man. It's gonna happen oh, soon. My. They fooled me. Hey, but Pam, I just want to thank you again for uh, joining us on the on the show, the MedVets. It's been excellent. Excellent. Okay. I, I know because we're running out of time, and I don't want to take up too much of your time. But um, okay. it's it's been excellent, but Keith. We can, we can we can have a we can have a part two down the line. Okay. Yeah, we need to enjoy this. And and one of the things that I do want to touch on, because I know you have another call coming up, so I don't want to take up too much time. But one of the things you didn't talk about was post market surveillance, which mm -hmm. I know that's yes. something I think you may be involved in also. So again, yes. these are things that the public really doesn't understand and know that not every implant is a gold standard is still under review it meets the requirements but still still testing that needs to be done so but yeah but again that's that's for a um, um another another day but i really am glad that you're able to participate and i know that you know you're high in demand and people you know need your attention and you're good at what you do so again i really appreciate you know you know being part of uh, the manifest okay all right i really appreciate it and like i said you guys i i just applaud what you're doing i think it's awesome Really do. So kudos. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Ready. <laughs>